The Birth Circle podcast features experts in all the nuanced areas of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum with the aim of helping women make the choices that will keep them safe, healthy, and empowered. We respect all birth choices and believe in supporting informed consent and evidence-based practices. Nothing said on this podcast should be taken as medical advice. You should always seek the advice of a competent professional for your care. Welcome to the Birth Circle podcast. This is Sarah with Birth Circle, and today I'm so excited to have Dr. Lorena White with me. And Dr. White has over 15 years of service and experience in the field of women's health, ranging from birth doula to physician, including acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine. She's worked closely with a team that she's carefully chosen to deliver expert care, not only to her patients, but also the couples trying to conceive. Together with her team, Dr. White facilitates the transformation of complex women's health and fertility challenges. By helping women and couples address the underlying root cause of their condition, her, pa- her patients begin to flourish without taking unnecessary pharmaceutical medications or having fruitless invasive surgical procedures. Dr. White has developed purpose-built signature programs that are unique to her Evdemonia Center. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited to nerd out with you because you've got the traditional, you've got the Western medicine with the Eastern medicine together. Yes. And, and you manage that. So yes, <laughs> I know I'm so, on some days better than others, but yes, <laughs> got it. Well, I mean, it's such as life, but I'm just so excited to pick your brains. So first of all, tell us about your background. How did you get into this field in the first place? All right. Um, it pretends on like how far you want me to go back, but I'm just going to be honest. Um, I think <laughs> I wanted to be a physician probably before like I wanted to do anything else. And if you look at all my baby pictures, I'm either have a baby underneath my shirt and I'm pregnant or pretending to be I pregnant, love it. Um, wanting to be mom um, and a stethoscope around my neck. So you um, identified have- as a, as a birth provider way, way, yeah, early. like from the get go, from <laughs> the get go, probably, a, probably like early signs of something like else going on, like that. I want to be pregnant and I was like, just barely out of the womb myself. Um, but anyhow, <laughs> yes, I definitely knew I wanted to be a doctor. I knew I wanted to be a mom. Um, and then my mom's like, you know, would always ask like, well, you know, where's your husband? And I was like, I don't need a husband. You know, I need, you know, it's my me, my baby and you know, I'm going to work. Um, and so as I got older, I still knew I wanted to be a physician and I thought I wanted to be a pediatrician. And in terms of pediatrics, I loved the rotation. I loved the children, but I did not like their parents. And that was <laughs> a drawback um, just because I felt like I was powerless in so many ways. Um, and there were so many helpless children that I just, I'm, I felt like I was sending them sometimes back to the wolves in terms of the care that I was providing and then what was needed to be continued at the home. So as I went through all my rotations, um, I had during this time, I had been a birth doula, um, labor support doula, and I loved it. We always had women's circles in our family, um, rituals and ceremonies around womanhood. So that was just a part of my cultural upbringing, all the way from my great grandmother, all the way down to my mom, myself and my sister. Um, And so that was amazing. Um, That was just a tradition that was a part of my life and I didn't know it any other way. And so women's health and just women's ceremonies and rituals and just the spiritual connectedness um, was just a norm for me. And so when I got to my women, uh, go be and 
um, obstetrics and gynecology rotation, it was really exciting, but I was like, I don't want to be a gynecologist because I don't want to look at vaginas all day. Like who signs <laughs> up for that? Um, but I didn't really know at that point exactly what I wanted to do because I knew pediatrics was not it. So I kind of um, just lucked out and by the grace of God, I got my OB um, gynecology, the OB part of the gynecology, uh, OB gyne rotation first. And it was love at first sight. My thing is, I don't want to be anywhere else. I don't want to do anything differently. I don't want to do anything but bring life and, you know, participate in this miracle. And that was amazing. It was fun. And by the time I did get to my gyne rotation, it was just a matter of, oh, this is why I'm here. This is about education. This is about community. This is about overall health and well-being and preconception care and just teaching women about their bodies and the temple that they have that resides within themselves. And it was beautiful. It was miraculous. I fell in love over and over and over again each day. And that's when I knew, okay, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, as I moved on, I kind of got just a little bit dismayed and about how healthcare is in the United States. And it was a matter of not seeing the level of accessibility, the level of appropriate care, via level of affordability, via level of just acceptability among <laughs> different populations. And I was yeah. just like, I can't. And that was kind of disheartening. It was frustrating, especially on a day-to-day -day basis when I felt like I'm showing up to work, um, but nobody's getting better. So I had the opportunity when I was finishing my capstone project to examine healthcare systems across the world. And so I had traveled to Europe. I traveled to South America. I traveled to Mexico. Um, and at the end of Canada, and I, at the end, I had the opportunity to travel to Cuba. And I wound up living in Cuba for six years um, after working for the Ministry of Public Health there and really studying their healthcare system and realizing, oh, this can be done and it is being done. And if a third world country that doesn't have near as much technology and resources, human and, uh, and you know, capital otherwise, then this can be done and it doesn't have to be this over magnanimous thing. It can be practical and it just needs to be put into place. You mean they were combining uh, what, what, what made their system different than ours? Oh, because again, um, for example, the first time I had acupuncture was in Cuba. Oh, and when I had my physical, um, they do a traditional physical, they go through all the Western diagnoses and the conventional therapy and things that you need. However, immediately afterwards, you have an acupuncture appointment. And I didn't know what was going on. I wasn't sure if they had made a mistake or what was going on. But then I realized, oh, this is a part of it. This is the whole body mm. treatment. This isn't just treating my physical symptoms or lack thereof, but also my mind and my spirit. And it was beautiful. And I remember coming, leaving that appointment thinking, what just happened here? Because I know I felt differently than I've ever felt after leaving the doctor. And I felt lighter. I felt like I was floating. Um, it was just an amazing experience. And I was like, I want, this is what I want to bring to my patients. And by the time I finished that, I, the earthquake in Haiti happened. Um, so I went to Haiti and I lived there for two years. And by the time I got back to the U.S., I was just so fired up and ready to go. And like, yeah. okay, yes, I'm going to like change everything and everything is going to be different. And my patients are going to be just awesome. And 
I quickly realized, yeah, the, the system isn't designed for that. It's not no, designed it's totally not. for a whole patient perspective. And I think we're moving in that direction. But even now, there's just so many gaps and so many different levels that are not being tapped into. And so when I got here, I was like, you know, working in a private practice and excited and like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And at that same time, they were starting to incentivize you patients and physicians if they could get their appointments under 15 or 18 minutes. Oh my gosh. My patients and my, I mean, my shortest appointment on a great day was over a half an hour. Um, By midday, I was already behind because I wanted to, you know, really talk and get, understand what was going on. And not just write a prescription and on my pad and be gone. And so it was disheartening that I'm working in a system where the things that I know and need and want and desire to be done through me and with my patients was just not, it was like trying to fit a circle in a square peg. Like it just wasn't going to work. No. Um, and, and you so were still, was- you were having to take insurance. I mean, some of these things. Oh, yeah. It's not just you wake up one day and you're like, I'm going to be an enlightened health provider and I'm going to have hour long appointments. No, the system, like you said, it's not built for it because um, it's not incentivized, quite frankly. Exactly. The health, this is a disease management system versus a healthcare system. And I think we, it doesn't necessarily equate to that in terms of dollars and cents because we're not preventing any type of disease in terms of intention and goal and planning and strategic and strategic operations, we're planning to just manage people's diseases until they die from them. And when I became, when I decided to become a physician and I never wanted to be a part of that system, I wanted to be a part of a system where, okay, we're going to work together. I'm going to help facilitate your care, but together we're going to work to get, see what's underlying all of this. We're going to treat that, not the symptoms, not chasing the symptoms here and there, but we're really going to get underneath everything, figure out what's causing the, all of these symptoms and really like start to help you heal, get better, live well, be well. And I just was very dismayed and um, kind of disheartened. Yeah. Frustrated because I wasn't seeing that. I would see patients time and time again, and it was more of, okay, moving from, painkillers to synthetic hormones to surgical intervention. And those were the tools that I had in my toolbox. And even after the surgical intervention, the lack of education or the lack of preparation still didn't provide all of the patients with the healing capacity that I knew that was they were capable of. Yeah. And that was disappointing. And so Right around that time, um, I accepted a job working with the Surgeon General, and that was a great job. I didn't have much patient interaction, but I really got to see how the sausage was made and how things can be done differently um, when there's, you know, leadership that is really putting their resources into women's health care and the care of women from all throughout the life cycle, from puberty all the way through menopause. And I think it was really, really shocking to me to see where all the gaps were and how we were not addressing those gaps adequately, effectively, or efficiently. Well, yeah, because this starts in the beginning. I, I want to later ask you more about the rituals that you grew up with, but sure. I mean, I'm sure you saw women in your practice that didn't understand how their bodies worked, just they had never been taught 
Forget from the about get-go. how they worked. Like they, we're talking about the anatomy. Like they didn't know. Yeah, they the didn't body understand part and... names. No, let alone oh, how gosh. they function. Yeah. Right. And so, how can you have a, a a how can you be a healthcare provider if your if your person doesn't even know what the what body they're living in, what their body is doing and why it's doing it and why it's betraying them every month around their menstrual cycle or why it's betraying them because they can't plug into their lives because I love that word. It feels like a betrayal when you don't understand. It really does. Like if your birth doesn't go the way you wanted it to, it feels a little bit like a betrayal when sometimes it's a physical reason in your body, why the birth went a certain way and you don't understand that. Ah, dang. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially when you prepared for it or you've, you know, you think you've asked the right questions, you've eaten the right foods, you've gone to all your birthing classes, you have a partner, you have a doula, and you still wind up with a C-section or you wind up with a stillborn or you wind up with some other adverse outcome or less than optimal outcome that you, that wasn't even a part or a part of your landscape in terms of things that you were preparing for. Right. Exactly. Wow. So, um, have you faced other resistance? Okay. So your practice, you practice completely differently now. Yeah. I didn't even get to that part yet, but go ahead. Okay. Keep going. Keep going. (laughs) No, no, no. And I'll, um, just to wrap up. And so at that level, after I was, you know, working at an administrative level and the administration changed and a lot of things in terms of women's health absolutely went south. Um, I was like, I can't stay here because this is not in line with my ethos. There's nothing here for me. My job was changing. My responsibilities were being, or just drastically different and it no longer felt compatible with my mental health. Um, and just going to work every day became a stressor. And so I was like, I can't go back, um, to, you know, private practice. Um, and just, I can't stay here. And so the next thing was, it's time for me to build my own table. And that's kind of how the practice was built. Evdemonia means human flourishing. And I wanted every woman who crossed the threshold of our practice to leave better than she came and came in. And I wanted her to begin that process of blooming where she's planted so that she could flourish into her own, into her own being, into health, wellness, and healing. And we're just tending her garden until she can tend it for herself. Oh, I love that. And you're giving her the tools to learn how to tend it herself too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I mean, if you were to help somebody, uh, get, understand their body to care for it, to avoid illness, then that would put you out of a job, but not really, because there's always, there's always going to be, there's always one (laughs) good job security. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, as you've, as you've set up your center, what type of pushback have you gotten from the medical community? Wow. Um, that is probably a, like another whole conversation, but to sum it up, uh, when I opened the practice, I just thought like it was going to be this magical place that everyone was just going <laughs> to believe in and love. And I think my colleagues were the first ones to really kind of give me the eye opener that they not only did they not believe in the concept, Um, but they didn't really believe that I was going to be able to stick it out that long. Um, A couple of my colleagues were placing bets on how long I was going to be in private practice. (laughs) Unicorn vision of what your practice could look like. So did you ultimately spoiler alert? Did you accomplish what you were set out to or are there still things? Absolutely. I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it. I'm still here. Yeah. And we're actually in the middle of an expansion. So we're opening up another office. So I would say yes. Um, I and feel those, like those coworkers never are they... a, the, yeah, the target is always moving. So yeah. it's not necessarily 
a destination, but a journey, because I don't want this to just be an office here, an office there. I want this to be, you know, the process of revolutionizing healthcare, women's healthcare from the you inside You want a out. movement. Yes. You're absolutely. not just franchising. You want no. a movement. Yes. And I want oh, it to be. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I want, I mean, I want everyone, men, women, physicians, practitioners, um, you know, statisticians and scientists and researchers to realize like there is power in preventive medicine and there's power in natural medicine and healing and botanical medicine and herbal therapy and all the modalities that we have. Yeah. Here, I was, that was my next question is, could you yeah. just like rapid fire list off um, all of the modalities you can think of that you employ in your practice? Okay. Um, acupuncture, Chinese herbal medicine, yoga, massage therapy, pelvic floor, physical therapy. We have a doula collective, midwives, um, vaginal steaming, raindrop therapy, Gua Sha, uh, Thai yoga body work. Um, He's homeopathy. Cupping. Yes. Homeopathy. Um, Essential oils. Auricular. Yeah. Auricular therapy. um, Essential oils, aromatherapy and dance, uh, dance movement therapy and prenatal yoga. I think I mentioned that already. And (laughs) it deserves another mention. So, yeah, we have two support groups uh, for infertility and uterine fibroids. Wow. So plus, plus you use traditional medicine as well. If somebody needs a prescription, Absolutely. a good old fashioned prescription, yeah. then yeah. you can write a pill, a prescription. If, if it's even needed. And I find a lot if, when people are receptive to it, um, they probably when by the time they arrive here, they've either tried everything. And I think we have like a nice even third who are either have tried everything and the traditional or the conventional medicine hasn't worked. They've tried the pills, they've tried the synthetic hormones, they've tried surgical intervention, and they're still in the same place they were with another slew of symptoms and challenges on top of what they what they started with. Or there's another third that has wants nothing to do with conventional medicine because they either are scared or they're apprehensive about some sort of side effect and they w- really want to do everything from an integrative and holistic approach. Or there's that middle third who wants to try anything and everything that's going to get them to where they want to be. And I feel like this is where we thrive because we wow. can treat and work with anybody and every one. And we want to, because I do believe synergistically we're better together. However, there is, like you mentioned before, there's a lot of pushback from conventional medicine communities and that they don't really understand everything that goes into traditional medicine, mm. even though these theories and these practices and these modalities have been along uh, out and alive and well and working a lot longer than any of the medicine that we have right now. And because it's all based in plants and the active ingredient in most plant medicine, why not just go to the source instead of creating pills and synthetic hormones that don't necessarily do the job. So yeah. I do believe that there's a a synthetic marriage that works best with all these modalities. However, you have to be receptive to it. And a lot of people just are not there yet. So basically the, our healthcare system could take could model after your, your center, because you're not extreme in your views. You're very middle ground. You, you pull from both sides. So, I mean, a lot of people, when they think um, alternative medicine, they think, you know, dancing naked in the woods in the middle of the night, um, you know, or whatever, right? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you just yeah. think, oh, they're out there, but you're not, yeah. you're saying 
you're saying that you can take um, the, the strengths of both sides and put them together and basically whatever's needed in that moment. And so really, right. what is there and not? I, honestly, yeah, go ahead. Well, what is there to lose with doing that? There's nothing to lose, right? There really isn't anything except for time wasted doing things that don't, don't work. And that is the best way. Well, to look. But if you have multiple tools in your belt, you're less likely to spend time wasted on one modality because you've got 50 more you could try. Right. Right. Versus and a some conventional of them work well together. They're synergistic and they work so well together there so you that go. you don't ever have to work hard doing one specific thing in isolation because you didn't get I don't, I tell my patients all the time, this didn't happen overnight, whatever condition that you're trying to modify or heal from or work with, it didn't happen overnight. You didn't wake up yesterday with fibroids. You got diagnosed yesterday with fibroids, but that mm -hmm. process has been happening five, potentially 10 years in the making. And now you're starting to have the symptoms, but most all disease processes and conditions don't just start overnight and just like, oh my goodness, I've been having, I'm, I have this now, or I have this condition or this diagnosis. And most of the time it's been happening for years, potentially decades at a time. And now either through years of ignoring symptoms and signs or years of not understanding why your body is behaving the way it is, or a combination of chasing the symptom and not the underlying cause, you could have potentially be doing more damage than, than good. And as it evidenced when, you know, our birth control is prescribed for women who have uterine fibroids. Meanwhile, the fibroids are just eating that synthetic hormone mm. up like it's breakfast and it's excited because you're like, you're feeding the fibroid and not necessarily treating the underlying cause of why the fibroid exists in the first place. Ouch. Wow. So you're, so you're, your center basically is self. I'm sure you have an amazing referral rate. Like you're not having to. No, we honestly, we have one of my, one of my goals was never to have to do any advertising uh, because we don't need to, and we provide excellent services. And for three years, we have never spent a dime on advertising. We have only used word of mouth and basically our president pres presence in the community. And I feel like that has been one of my goals from the beginning, because I feel like if we can provide just the accessibility, the acceptability, the appropriate nature of the care and good quality, individualized care to our patients, that is going to speak for itself. That's going to be the consistent factor. That's going to be what translates. That's going to be what patients want, need, and desire. And to be seen and to be heard and to know that their practitioners value them, not just as a patient, but as a human being and as a person. And I think if we can all, if the healthcare system in general had that approach, one, we wouldn't have so many illnesses and conditions that are hard to manage, but we'd also have a lot more people who are satisfied with their providers. Okay. I just want to do a little plug here for listeners. If your healthcare, if your healthcare provider does not sound like Dr. White or the, <laughs> the practice you're living in does not sound like it's run by Dr. White, you might consider a change. <laughs> this is amazing. Okay. But do you accept insurance? We do not. We are a cash-based practice. Um, however, on the flip side of that, any insurance 
covered service or modality that you receive here, we will super bill and send you that printout at the end of each month. So mm-hmm. you can get reimbursed directly by your insurance provider. I know. I know even when we were very poor college students, it was still cheaper to self pay and get yeah. care than it yeah. was to try and figure out a, an insurance plan. Yeah. And you can still use HSA and FSA funds here. Um, we have no problem with that. It's just that with insurance companies and what they cover and what they don't cover, it limits what we can do and what we know will work. And mm-hmm. and we, then you have when, to have a full-time billing person to figure yeah, out. Yeah. And it just becomes, we spend more time doing administrative activities than actually focusing on patient care. And when it comes to managing complex women's health challenges, you want all hands on deck and yeah. all hands really focused on the patient and not whether this is going to be covered or not, or whether they're going to be reimbursed or not. I want to do what's best for my patient and I don't want to be limited by what is covered or not covered. Love it. So what do you think we could do to shift the birth world, the birth industry to more, a more integrative approach? Cause it feels like there are sides right now. There's still kind of a war going on. Oh yeah. Definitely. We're all tired yeah. of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's exhausting quite frankly. And I think the, it's again, it starts from the inside out and from the bottom up. I don't think we can any longer expect that the government or that the insurance companies or the pharmaceutical industry is going to lead this charge because they're not. Because oh, they, there's no motivation to. Yeah, there's no motivation. There's no incentive to keep people healthy. There is an incentive to keep people managed on hormones or surgical intervention or painkillers. And I find that I don't want to live that way. And I don't think most people do, but they feel they don't have any other option. So that's why we super bill so that the insurance companies can see that, hey, they are being treated for this. This is working and recognizing the diagnostic codes and what it's being used for so that there can be a paper trail. And when patients start acknowledging and literally forcing insurance Mm -hmm. companies and providers to accept these different modalities as effective and as efficient as a painkiller or a hormone or any other pharmaceutical drug, then we'll start seeing the change. And I think it's going to take work because it is going to topple everything that we have known that this healthcare system. And, but again, my goal isn't not, isn't to make the health industry comfortable, but it's to make my patients well and whole again. And I think that's in the bigger scheme of things, I'm willing to, you know, be on the battlefield for in, in this, in this regard, because I believe in it so much. I have been blessed with my own health and wellness. And again, it's just, it's a, it's, I realize it's a gift because when I see patients who aren't healthy or who have been struggling or trying to manage a disease process or have a condition that's unrelenting and they have tried literally everything and spent money on some of the modalities and treatments that are really the ones that I'm like, you did what? You went where? <laughs> you did for how long? <laughs> who told you to do that? Um, but you never make your patients feel dumb. <laughs> no, I just, internal I, dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> I know sometimes people tell us because I'm like, wow, there are people out there doing that. And that's like something that's accessible. And I never would have even thought that that modality existed and let alone that people would pay for it. Um, (laughs) I think that it would work. And it just, it's interesting. Have you not heard of ice cream therapy? I mean, mean, it it might as well be. I I might as well be. I wish. (laughs) 
Um, and so, yeah, sometimes it's like, it's also disappointing to see that there are modalities, providers taking advantage of people. Yeah. In way you, I was going to say people are a lot of times desperate because yes. you only get one chance at this life. You only get one body. Right. And so yeah, man, the, the field is, the industry is ripe for abuse. Really. Yes wrought for abuse. And I think that is a, one of the other aspects that, again, if we can work together, one, you're going to start seeing results within the you know first month of treatment, um, even the most resistant to therapy, because we, our approach is to do things pretty much differently than the conventional medicine approach is. And it's really down to, down to earth. And I say that not to, in, you know, euphemistically or tongue-in-cheek but it really is down to earth like what are the things that the earth has provided for healing and health and wellness and our bodies I believe and I still do are designed to heal themselves but we just have to reteach them how to do those things because lifestyles and habits and environmental stressors and toxins have kind of helping us undo that, yeah. that learning process. And so now it's like, okay, let's reteach. Let's, you know, reteach your body how to heal. There's a lot of trust. You're, you're yes. teaching trust in your body and its ability to heal. Yes. Okay. So um, that my next question is when somebody comes into you with, a, you mentioned fibroids, but let's just say yeah. it's a general malady. They're miserable. Right. They've tried everything. Okay. So they come to you in pain and misery, both m- yes. emotionally and physically. Gotcha. What are the first steps you do with them? Well, the first thing is we have a complimentary consultation because I want everyone to know that this isn't about making money for us. And if we can't help you, we're going to connect you with someone who can. Oh, that's cool. So the first thing is a half an hour. We just sit down and talk like what brought you here? How did you find us? Why are you trying this now? Why are you curious about this approach to care? What has worked for you in the past? What hasn't? Talk to me about your symptoms. When did they start? how have they manifested, how they evolved. And in that first half hour, we just sit, we literally talk and I want to get to know your lifestyle habits. What are you doing? What are you experiencing? What are your relationships like asking pretty much questions that no one ever asks in all of your time in any other doctor appointment that you've been in. And you will be surprised that so many people say no one's ever asked me that before. And when I ask it, I'm like, if they've never asked you that before, what have they been doing? Like, how have they been treating you? If this super integral question that's almost basic for me was never asked before and patients sometimes don't have a response. They're like, I don't even know how to answer that. So after that first half an hour, that gives me, it paints me a, a picture of, okay, can we work with you? Can we not? What is going on? Is this something that is in our wheelhouse. And one thing I don't really do is musculoskeletal issues, things that are like, that's outside of my wheelhouse, unless it has to do with pregnancy or some aspect of women's health. I really don't operate in that wheelhouse of pain associated with necks and knees and hips and joints. But I'm sure you have a great chiropractor you're referring to, Yes, but we do have a chiropractor on our our staff who definitely does adjustments. Um, And Again, it's one of those things that I know where my wheelhouse is. I know what this team is about. Um, everybody on the team has a passionate interest in women's health. So yes, a chiropractor, especially when there's a woman is getting toward her you know, last months or last weeks of pregnancy, they might need an adjustment or an adjustment ahead of time to get pregnant because there might be some pelvic issues or some pelvic floor issues that might really benefit from chiropractic work or pelvic floor PT. 
but I know what my strength is. and I don't operate outside of that. This is my lane of genius and we're really good at what we do here. And so that's, we pretty much, if you're here for a lot of other things that aren't necessarily based in some level of women's health issues, we kindly refer you out. Um, that happens pretty much maybe once or twice a month, not very often. And some choose to like, yeah, but I still want to be seen here because I just like your approach. And, I'm, and, and again, I, we, we really do see everyone, especially once we tell you like we can only get, you know, we don't really estimate that we'll be able to help you. Let's try somewhere else. Some people do, some people don't, but they like our approach. They like the feeling. Sometimes they just like being heard. Yeah. The experience. They like being acknowledged that they are in kind of up a creek. Yeah. (laughs) So what parts of um, the birth pregnancy experience do you think are severely over-medicalized right now in our country? From preconception all the way through men through postpartum. Well, that's all of it. very complete, isn't it? <laughs> all of it. I mean, there is no aspect of it that's not. And if you think about preconception care, I can't, I mean, I go to Instagram, Facebook, and there's, an, I don't know how many different types of things and places and things to go to help with preconception care. And that leads to, IV, you know, IVF and all the trouble trying to get pregnant. There's that mm-hmm. aspect. And then it's the, okay, you have, you know, morning sickness and all the things that you need to take and do and be to avoid morning sickness. Sometimes morning sickness is a sign and symptom to pay attention to. And it could be a sign that, wow, things are going well and it doesn't need to be medicalized. And all the way down to labor and delivery. And I think this is where if I had to pinpoint exactly a point where things are just way, way, way over-medicalized and there's way too many interventions is during labor and delivery. And I tell people all the time, do you, women have been giving birth and delivering outside of the hospital environment for years. Like <laughs> it's, it's possible not to have to be tethered to an IV or to yeah. be, you know, on a monitor 24 seven, like these things are in novel inventions for safety reasons, but they don't have to be built into yeah. every single person. Well, it experience. feels like so many people have this experience just based on the collective fear we have in our yeah. culture surrounding birth. But we've so- created that fear. We've created that fear by the by over medicalizing every aspect of a of a pregnancy to basically treat pregnancy like a disease instead of mm. a natural part of a woman's life cycle or we treat it like it's a condition and backing up sometimes women aren't necessarily in the best condition to get pregnant so then there's a lot of different aspects of their pregnancy that are not as optimal as they could have been and i think it get, it just goes back from pre preconception care all the way throughout postpartum. Actually, it starts right before, like as a little girl, right before you get your period and you're learning about your body, right? And what, yeah. what you should and shouldn't be doing to, yeah. to optimize your body for birth, right? Yeah. And a lot of my patients say, no one ever told me this. I didn't, I don't know where you were when I was getting pregnant because I didn't know that, or no one ever told me this, or they just told us cramps was a part of, you know, your menstrual cycle or Mm -hmm. heavy bleeding was just a thing that was going to always be. And it, it actually stuns me that I think about the lack of education, not just that our teens, meaning our 15 to 18 year olds who are, you know, just starting out, 
but that our 45 year olds who have three, four, five kids, and they still don't understand the anatomy, the physiology, the functioning of their bodies. Yeah. And how it can function optimally without pain. Well, without and without understanding this, you don't, you don't have the ability to make choices in labor and delivery. Oh, none. Because none you whatsoever. don't know what your options are. You don't know how your body works, you know, right. Or you're not given the information to make an educated decision based on your current condition. And the C-section rate is evidence that there's mm-hmm. just way too many C-sections that are not even necessary, uh, planned and otherwise. I don't even understand why we're doing planned C-sections just so that you can go on a cruise. Um, planned C-sections when there's a mechanical or a physical issue, understandable, definitely to protect the life of the mother and definitely. baby. Definitely. A C-section yes. is a life-saving tool. It's absolutely incredibly powerful. When employed, when employed yeah. appropriately. But C-section rates have skyrocketed over the last decade. And I don't really believe that it's because all of a sudden pelvises are just too small for babies nope. all of a sudden. It, no, that's no, just not, not all that's of a sudden. how it works. No, that's just, that's definitely not it. Um, and so it's just, it is astounding to see where women's healthcare is and just the level of interventions between pretty much in a 24 to 48 hour period that, un- that a woman undergoes just to bring her baby into the world. Yeah. Yeah. And without having that, that, I mean, I've been, I went to a birth recently where the, the mother kind of did like this dance and she's like, no, I know this is like her fifth or sixth baby. Yeah. And she's like, no, I know that my babies always have big shoulders. And so this is kind of how I feel. I can feel the one shoulder and then the other one move. And she's like, she was so in tune with her body that she could actually like did a specific dance, a ritual for every baby. And, um, you know, she's, she's, she had a hospital birth. She had home birth. She had birth center center birth, but over the course of her childbearing years, she's figured out her body. And so she's actually the, the one to make the best decisions about, you know, what position she should be in right now. And right no, Yep. That first baby, especially if your mom has never told you stories, if you haven't watched other women in birth, like, How would you know what to, how to behave and what to do? And you won't No, I mean, so many times I'm in the birth and I'm the one telling the partner or the other kids, the the older kids, Hey, Um, what mama's doing is perfect. The noise mama just made, that means baby's coming really soon. I mean, I'm here educating the viewers of what they're so that they don't get all, you know, spun up and, and worried. So man, if we could just. Okay. And normalize, so done. <laughs> normalize that process. And I think it's some, some people are concerned when children are in the birthing space. I find it's not so much, it's not traumatic. It's not scary. No. It's actually very educational that this is what birth looks like. It doesn't look like what you see in that half an hour sitcom where, you know, everyone is great. Someone's water breaks in the middle of the grocery store. And the next thing they have this beautiful, clean baby that is like out and crying. Yeah. Perfect. Like that's not how birth looks, but it also looks, it looks very different, but it also is very, very beautiful. Yep. Well, and siblings and partners, you've seen the videos where like a toddler falls and, and, um, and the mom goes, okay, good. You're such a superstar. Get up. And the, right. then the kid's like, oh, that must not have hurt. Okay. Moving on. Moving or, on. Yes. Or you see the kid that barely touches himself and the parents are like, oh no, oh, baby, are you okay? And then they start crying. Cause they're like, oh, right. that must've hurt. So I feel right. like birth is the same way with siblings that, yes. that, parents worry that their older children, even like two-year-olds, three-year-olds are going to be traumatized by mama's noises or by like the blood. They're not. No, 
Not no. not even close. One, not unless you let not him even know. paying attention. <laughs> and if you're describing and talking to your child with age appropriate words and phrases and making that experience. Oh, this is, this yep. is a good thing. This is mama bringing, you know, your brother or sister into this world or your brothers or si- and sisters <laughs> combination, yeah. all these things, then it makes the situation one that they want to participate in. Yep. And when I was a doula, just having, especially at home births, it was a matter of, oh goodness, you can participate by holding mommy's hand, or you can participate by doing this or getting her at, a you know, drink all the ways, or yeah, all the ways that you can participate. Or... Yes. Mm-hmm all those ways that make this a family affair, all this ways that like put you having a, you know, your child, your partner in a critical role to not just start the family when the baby arrives, but you help the baby in the arrival process. Yeah. And we talk about the, the magic hour after baby's born. And if you can have the entire family involved in that experience, yes. And it's not like the siblings get to meet their their baby two days after they're born. If you can involve the siblings right up front at that bonding, those hormonal. Absolutely. Yeah. That hormonal bath. Yes. <laughs> what is it that we that. love about birth? And I'm like, it's the pheromones, it's the hormones. It just birth yes. smells good. <laughs> it yeah. Smells- and it smells good. It feels good. Uh-huh. And that whole experience, it can be chalked up to like seeing your newborn and the air changes, everything shifts, the energy shifts, not just with mom, not with just the family, but with everybody in the room because something miraculous just happened and it's beautiful. Okay. So now I've got a kind of a hard question for you. Okay. I'm ready. Not everybody gets to come to your center, even though you'll have many locations. um, But the reality is not probably in this generation. Will everybody get to come to one of your centers? Not in this generation, probably not. Sorry, the bear break of bad news, but um, okay. So, so those listening, how can they then take elements of how you view healthcare and, and tools that you know would work for them if they could come to your center? How do they take those to their current provider and work those in? Like if I know if you come to a current your sometimes if you come to your provider and say, well, I tried essential oils, they'll be like, oh, that doesn't work. Or if they, if you say, well, what do you think about acupuncture? My sister said that that gave, sent her into her labor, um, you know, post-term labor. Can, can I use acupuncture? Oh, that's, hum, you know, that's hogwash. So what are some of the the, like, are there any phrases or tools that that patients can use when they're visiting their current doctors to kind of test to see how open their providers are and if they're on the fence? Because I know a lot. I mean, doctors are humans too, and if you approach them like my way or the highway, of course, there's going to be pushback. But are right. is there any way that they can approach their providers to try and get more of your type of care with their current provider? Go. I think that all starts before you choose a provider. And I think in terms of choosing a provider, you need to interview them just like you would interview someone that you hire at your workplace. And the time to find out what their approach is and what their thoughts about things are before they become your physician. That's perfect. You're at labor delivery. What are those, some of those interview questions? Uh, what are your thoughts about essential oils? Uh, what are your thoughts about acupuncture? I've really read a lot about acupuncture and I really heard that it's very good with labor and delivery. Uh, will I be able to use uh, acupuncture or acupressure during my labor and delivery? How do you feel about vaginal steaming for cervical effacement and dilation? How do you feel about using yoga? Do you, are there pre, is there a prenatal yoga therapist that you refer to? And if they can't have any referrals or anything like that, and they're just like, what are you talking about? Vaginal steaming. I don't even know what that is. 
yeah, that's, I mean, there, there's certain things if they don't know what they are, if they can't make any referrals, that means they're not comfortable with the modalities. They don't know anything about the modalities. So when you approach them in your third trimester about certain aspects, not only are they not going to be amenable, but they're not familiar with it and they can't mm. provide you any insight. But if, so the if time you to as have a, these conversations at the beginning, if you as a first time mom don't even know what's available, how can you ask questions to know if the, I mean, because I'm sure that right. you get first time mamas that accidentally land in your lap yep. that then you get to just guide through the whole process. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's making a face like that is just the best, right? When you get it's to the just best. I love it. Cause I was like, oh my goodness, in you're your a hands. clean slate, you're clean, clean slate, slate. Right. And yeah. Cause I mean, there's no preconceived notions about we anything. Say, go, go to your provider and ask them yeah. about these things. But what if you don't even know where to start? I mean, heck? I'm, I'm pretty darn empowered and I yes. don't understand vaginal seeming in as a tool in birth. So that was <laughs> right. news to me. I'm going to thank you for giving me something to research tonight. Right. Um, but so, so if we don't have any vocabulary, what are right. some of the questions we can ask our provider that will make us that help us sense if they are even going to guide us? You know, on that main path. question is kind of stems has multiple spokes, but that main question is, as I progress through my pregnancy, what other modalities are you do you advocate for Ooh. or can, are you a proponent for that will help my pregnancy? I love that. Further? And if they can't come up with anything, that's a problem. Because again, they can't recommend anything. They're not giving you the alter. They're not just alternatives, but they're not giving you the benefits. And actually, of a synergistic approach. And and if they are the type of um, provider that you are, they'll get really excited with that question, right? Because they'll be like, they'll "Yeah, be like, oh my gosh, at thirty-seven great. weeks, we actually do a naked rain dance." And <laughs> <laughs> I really do want you to go out into the forest and stand up <laughs> doing something wild. Yeah. 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 And just all those aspects and just, or when you ask them, especially during that labor and delivery, what is your approach with vaccinations? What are your, is your approach with, um, cord clamping? What is your approach? Like all those things that can happen during labor and delivery. Cause that's usually when all the high level interventions or yeah. the myriad of interventions start approaching, start researching, like what could happen, not necessarily that it's going to happen for you, but find out what your physicians or that practice is approach is, or what their philosophy is in terms of the interventions at the level. Are they going to allow you to be moving around and free moving during labor, active labor? Are you, mm -hmm. will you be allowed to be in any position that you want, or is it going to be, you're going to be tethered to the bed? Is there mandatory treatments and medicines that your baby will have to receive? Or is there a window where you have time to think about it? Can you plan? Yeah, it there you go. Something so, like that. So I think um, even if you don't know anything, the first thing to do is when you're doing that interview is ask them, like, what is their approach? What mm -hmm. other interventions do they suggest? What intervention will make other interventions or modalities or services can they recommend that will make their pregnancy easier or more um, make that journey in, in general yeah. go by in a way that will help them achieve an optimal labor <laughs> delivery and birth experience. Do they cringe if you use the word journey? That's it. That's <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, I, I tell everyone like pregnancy is just a, you know, is, is one part of the journey because that hopefully that child is going to be with you for a long time. It's yeah. not just like the birth yeah. is the beginning. I know, but I just, <laughs> I just think you're a lovely provider. You use the word journey in terms yes. of, the, I love it. I mean, what, what doctor, 
you know. So is it reasonable to say that um, a client can <clears throat> expect to be able to have requests around their, their birth? Like if they say, I really, really want a filmmaker and two doulas and my mother-in-law in the room, even, you know, if things start getting a little dicey, I don't want to ever have my mother-in-law out of the room or whatever, whatever your desires right. are. Like, is that reason? Cause so many people say my doctor wouldn't let me. And I'm wondering from your perspective as a doctor, how far can a patient push requests like that and still expect to. Well, I think this whole COVID era that we're in now. Oh yeah. Um, COVID. I'm, I'm just, I'm banking on that going away eventually. Yeah. I'm hoping <laughs> banking all of it going away because it definitely did change the birth experience for a for lot of sure. our patients who were expecting to have their doula and their spouse in the room. And it was very, very traumatic. That was a traumatic experience knowing that, yeah, not only in the very, very beginning, it was no longer a doula or a yeah. spouse. It was you, your att birth attendant and the medical assistants or the nurse that was helping you. So there was literally only three people in the room plus the baby that was coming. Um, and let's just say COVID, COVID era, outside of that yeah. pre and post, there are limits. First of all, the room is only but so big. Unless you're gonna be delivering in your home where the space is what it is, that there, the room is only but so big. So the mo more people that are in there means the more noise, the more distractions, the more moving well, parts, the more people to manage. And some of those people are not at, at necessarily advocating for you. They may be your That's best true. friend. They may be your spouse. They may be your mother-in-law or your mother. However, if they're making your process of labor and delivery more of a struggle mm -hmm. or they're exacerbating the a level of a relationship that has already been established pre-pregnancy or pre-labor and delivery, they may be your BFF, but if they're not helping you That's get true. To that end goal, it's really not beneficial for them to be in the room. Well, what so, about like you um, mentioned a filmmaker like, and everybody else? Like, yeah, some of those people just like, yeah, it's they're more of a distraction for everybody in the room. And it's sometimes it can be also be a safety hazard, given that there's a lot potentially being a lot of moving parts and decisions that need to be made. That is an at excellent the drop point. of a hat. But what about yeah. things like, sorry, that was an excellent answer to a question that I didn't phrase very, very well, but that is excellent. <laughs> but what about things like a delayed cord clamping or yes. giving birth on hands and knees or things yeah. that aren't, aren't involving, th like how far can a mom push to say, I want the ability to give birth in any position and don't, you know, whatever, like how right. far can she I got push on this? Yeah. That's where having a birth plan comes in. And so the moment, the time to start thinking about your birth plan and all the options and all the possibilities is the moment that you know you're pregnant. It's never too early. So you want to be thinking about the end in the beginning so that you have time to either change your mind, to get more information and allow that process to evolve. You could find that, you know what, I really am not comfortable having, you know, my being completely naked in front of everyone. And I really don't want to be on hands and knees. I really want to be able to, even though reclining isn't the best position to be in, but I really don't want to have that as you move yeah. forward. Or you may find like, you know what? I love squatting. I want to have that birthing ball. I want to have all of, I want to have that in this room for me because that's really where I feel comfortable. I'm getting the most opening of my pelvis and that's really comfortable for me. And you may find that, okay, I want my one doula in the room, but I really don't even want my spouse in the room. 
um, delayed corn clamping, all these things and possibilities need to be talked about. So one, they're in writing. So if they're in writing, anybody who's in the room can refer to it. Mm-hmm. Two, they need to be communicated to not only your doula or your provider, but to the medical staff that is going to be on that floor while you're there. So it's as you come up with the plan, put it in writing so that everybody knows I don't want X, Y, Z, or I really do want X, Y, and Z. Please don't play a certain type of music because that stresses me out, but I really would like a lot of classical music. Um, can you please, please, please keep the lights dim because, you know, light sensitivity is not something that I really want to experience. Again, could you keep the movement in and out of the room? I don't really want to have a lot of digital exams. It's not necessary to check your cervix every hour. You don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. You really don't. Um, And just anything that you definitely know or you want to be able to eat throughout the course of your labor and delivery. Some Once you're in the hospital, some of that's going to stop because there's liability issues that they have to consider. So there's a lot of things that you will be able to do at home that aren't dangerous, but the liability is not being, again, placed on the hospital. So there's those things to keep in mind that there's a lot, there is a lot of leeway and a lot of space, but there are things that are hospital protocol for their protection, but not necessarily because they're wrong or that are harmful to you. And and even understanding the difference can take the energy down a notch on some of these like, right. Yes, you're right. This isn't, you know, this isn't dangerous to you, but the hospital protocol is this. So yes, that's cool. Okay. And and that's, and that's how you pick where your physician has rights too, because if you're going to be, for instance, delivering at a hospital where, um, they don't allow delayed cord clamping or that's not a, and it's something that you want. You want to know that in the beginning Up front, yeah. versus, oh, I'm about to deliver in about two weeks. And now I'm associated with a hospital that won't allow me to do the thing that I have said that I definitely want to do. Yeah. And so it's, it requires planning and interviewing your physicians and figuring out where they where you are going to deliver is going to be a a big deal in terms of that whole process. So the earlier you start, the more questions you can get answered and the better you'll be able to plan accordingly for the foreseeable future. Love it. Okay. Last question before we close. Um, Tell me more about the circles that you grew up with and the cultural practices and the rituals. (laughs) Oh, I love the face she's making right now and how those, how you work those into your practice Yes, and, and how it just brings yummy. Well, I, in general, when I was blessed to have a great grandmother and a grandmother who I can remember and know, and along with my mother, um, I have two aunts and a series of cousins. So there was plenty of us to have these experiences with. And so getting my period, well, it was something that I wasn't really boiled over about because I was like, I was kind of a tomboy. Um, still am when I get rid um, Yep. I'm honest. Um, I was like, this is kind of going to slow me down. Yeah, it's going to get in the way of my really mojo. Like, is this necessary? Like, is this really that good. and wearing a bra were two things that I'm like, do I have to put this on? My boobs are, are like not that big. And they're really like this whole bra thing seems like it's just not necessary right now. Yeah. Um, however, once like you became, you know, had that moment where you got your period, there was ceremonial, like, you know, everybody came, there was a meal, there was preparation. And 
we were a non-douching household. So there was no douching to like clean you out. Um, you were taught about menstrual blood and what it was and what color it should be and all the ways that your, your menstrual cycle was a beautiful part of becoming a woman. And I was a late bloomer. I got my driver's license before I got my period. So wow, it was, yeah, cool. it was really late. The process, again, That's another really whole convenient. story. <laughs> it was convenient for me, but not convenient for my mom who thought I had like a myriad yeah. of things going on because <laughs> um, my aunt got her period when she was eight. So there was like that long span. Whoa. I was like, oh my goodness, you know, how do you deal with, you know, my aunt was eight and I was like, that's, that's criminal almost for pretty much an eight year old. And I was like, if I don't ever get this thing, I'm cool because it's not slowing me down. <laughs> Everyone else was like, I think you need to get her checked out, but I was fine. Everything was good. I was just really athletic. I was really um, active and it just was one of those things that it didn't, it didn't come early, but it was fine. And I've had a beautiful period ever since. Um, I tell people all the time that, you know, I learned to really know what your my menstrual cycle was about, how mm -hmm. I felt during each part. And that was because people took the time to really encourage me about menstrual hygiene and talking to me. And that's where I learned about vaginal steaming because we weren't a, a douching household. Um, we learned about vaginal steaming. And I'll just give you a little bit of a, a mini 101 crash course. Um, we have a, I call it the throne, but it's a steam steaming seat. And inside is a pot filled with warm boiling, well, boiling water um, and medicinal herbs, whether they're herbs for uterine that help with uterine blood circulation, um, stimulating the actual blood flow itself, all the different herbs for freshening, cooling, depending on what uh, you need at that time. There can be different blends that are made. And we used to steam together as a part of that circle where we all get together after the end of your first menstrual period. And we sit and we talk, we tell stories about each other and each other's first experience with our menstrual cycle. And again, it would turn into like pregnancy stories and birth stories and just beautiful, awesome relationship and bonding oh goodness, and family gathering. That. And when there's always good food, I mean, you can't miss. And so, yeah, food and period. That, it's good. It's good. Yeah. I mean, food is medicine anyway. So, right. It was just one of those opportunities where we could all get together. And it wasn't, you know, the whole entire family every time, but it was all the women in the family. And we just sit around and like talk and bond and connect. And while we're steaming, and so while you're having this completely relaxing and beautiful experience in your, you know, with your undercarriage, you're also being able to fellowship and connect, okay. partner with your family. So what I'm hearing you say is that when you're young and you you treat you treat the first period with such honor and yes. grace and kindness, then it's gonna be almost impossible to then start treating the birth or womanhood in a gnarly, ugly way, because it's just not going to fit. Right. It's incompatible. I, mean, yeah. I can't imagine <laughs> you sitting around with your, your steams and talking birth horror stories. Right. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't have happened. It doesn't really happen. Honestly. And I can't, I, the first oh. time I started hearing people having horror stories were, was when I was preparing to be a birth doula and how like the before and after doula story, it's like, Oh, this is what happened when I was in the hospital. And I didn't have an advocate and all those things. But you always have an advocate because no one's, I mean, from my perspective in our family, you were never alone. Like your mother, your sister, your grandmother, your cousin, your somebody. I mean, my friends would come into our house to steam because um, their families didn't do it. They were like, what is that about? Um, 
And it was just great. And like, you know, kids in our neighborhood, when they got their period, they're like, oh, you know, we're going to go to her house because they do this thing. Um, and, you know, everyone kind of got in, on board and was wound up being like a really community, uh, community activity um, of women's health and just other women who really wanted to take care of their bodies wow. and treat this experience like it was the miracle that it is because it is a beautiful opportunity for ceremony, community, love, I love and it. just ushering in womanhood. So even if you didn't grow up like this, uh, yes. women's circles is you're going through your pregnancy and just surrounding yeah. yourself with a community of, of women who can tell you good stories. I say you can't unsee a good birth. Like you it can't. goes, it goes to the deepest yes. parts of our brain. And so watch a ton of good birth videos. Yeah. And even um, I was a centering pregnancy facilitator and it was where you went through your whole pregnancy in a group of like eight to 10 women. And it's Ooh, not for neat. everyone, obviously, because some women just don't want that experience, but some women need that experience yeah. based on either lack of community or lack of family or lack of support. And just having that eight to 10 other women to, in addition to your provider to help support you and talk you through all the anxieties and the worries and the concerns, but knowing that, oh, there's nine other people who are pretty much at the same place in their pregnancy yeah. that you are just being able to have that. And that's kind of the idea of that whole women's circle. It extended to a specific time in a woman's life during that uh, pregnancy period as well. Love it. Wow. I am so sad that we don't live closer. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, by the time I, by the time we get to where I want it to be, there's going to be at least one everywhere that hopefully will be accessible to so many other people. Well, if you're looking for an extension office, Salt Lake City, we're ready for you. Just okay, got right it. here, got I, it. I, I can help you <laughs> hook right. you up with great space. Yeah. Sounds oh my good. goodness, I just thank you so much for for taking the time to absolutely just thank share this. So I appreciate yeah. it. I really do appreciate it. And again, anything that you haven't we haven't touched on or you're concerned or you're interested in. I did write a book and pretty much. All oh, yes. Of them, That's all perfect. Of them are in there. Natural. Um, no, hold that up again. Natural okay. Pregnancy Guide, Empowering Moms to Make Healthy Choices by Dr. Lorena White. Awesome. They can find that on Amazon. Right on Amazon and everything that we've talked about and even from the birth circles and the women's health circles and vaginal steaming and all the different like questions to ask, which you don't know what to ask for and like the choices that you have, the birth plan, all of that is in there. Awesome. And what is your website and your Instagram, everything? Website is my first and last name, www.lorenawhite.com. And Instagram is the Evdemonia Center all together, T H E. Evdemonia, E-U-D-A-I-M-O-N-I-A Center. And the same thing on Facebook, the Evdemonia Center. And awesome. the same thing on, I think, on Twitter as well. Perfect. Again, thank you very much. This has been so informative. Great. Thanks so much for allowing me to like nerd out a little bit because oh, I, yeah. I like to go there. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for the invitation, Sarah. And have a wonderful one. Please visit us at birthcircle.com, join our Facebook groups, or find us on Instagram and Pinterest. We hope you'll use our resources to support your birthing experience. And thank you to LaunchPod Media, who produces these podcasts.